and her breakthrough from heartbreak to hallelujah. And so let's look at uh, 1 Samuel 1, verses 1 and 2. And um, let's see, that's not the passage. We're about to get to it. There it is. There was a man named Elkanah who lived in Ramah who had two wives, Hannah and Peninnah. And then it goes on to say, I don't have my clicker working today, so they're doing it. Peninnah had children, but what did Hannah have? Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. All right, let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for your word. I pray that you will bring hope today to those who are experiencing barrenness in their lives. I thank you, Lord, that you're the God who brings a breakthrough, and I pray for breakthrough to be sent. And, Lord, that we will experience a mighty breakthrough from God in and through the name of Jesus. In his name we pray. And if you need a breakthrough today, say amen. Amen. You can be seated. Tell your neighbor, God's giving you a breakthrough. I believe that. God is a God of breakthrough. God is a God who can do what we cannot do. And we've been looking at several Bible breakthroughs. Well, we started last week, and we're going to look at a Bible breakthrough for the next few weeks. Because all through the Bible, there are accurate records of people who prayed to the living God and experienced a breakthrough in their life. Now, a Bible breakthrough, here's what it is. In case you're wondering, what does a breakthrough mean? What do you even mean by that? A Bible breakthrough is God moving on our behalf when in the natural there is no hope. You've tried everything you can try. You've done everything you know to do. You've knocked, you've pushed, you've prayed. You've, you've resorted to this and that and the other, tried this and tried that, and nothing has brought to you what you need God to do. And now it's very obvious that if God doesn't do it, it's not going to get done. Now you're a candidate for a breakthrough. A Bible breakthrough, which means a supernatural breakthrough. I'm very thankful that we don't serve a God who is impotent, who is uh, helpless, who, is, uh, who cannot move on our behalf. We don't serve a God who does not intervene in our lives by prayer. No, but we serve a mighty prayer-answering God who moves mountains and brings up valleys and moves on our behalf and breaks the chains and opens the prison doors and heals the sick and does the miraculous. As a matter of fact, the Bible says our God only does wondrous things. So that's what a Bible breakthrough is. And today we're going to look at a woman named Hannah who needed a breakthrough in her barrenness. She was barren. Peninnah had children, the Bible says, but Hannah had none. Now, in case you're wondering, Elkanah had two wives, Sarah and Peninnah, because this time period was before the giving of the Ten Commandments, and God allowed multiple marriages. But now, I want us to understand what barrenness meant in the Old Testament. Why was it such a big deal that, that a Hannah or some other woman in the Old Testament would, would wear it so heavily that she was barren? Because in the Old Testament, barrenness was considered to be a curse. Barrenness was seen by women in Israel to be an affliction. And they believed that it was an affliction 
sent by God. Well, if I'm barren, then God has done this to me. Jewish women were given privilege and respect for the number of sons that they bore. And this is real easy to see in, for instance, Psalms 127 in verse 3. We can see how childbearing was considered a blessing. It says, Lo, children are a heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. So children were seen to be a reward from the hand of God. They were your heritage, your legacy. And so it goes without saying that if a woman was barren, then she viewed it as, well, this is the curse of God. God's not for me. Something is wrong. This is an affliction. I'm not right with him or he isn't favoring me or there is something between me and him. And it played on her mind. But you know, I found that as I was reading the Bible, that barrenness often preceded a miracle. You see, some of you today are barren somewhere in your life. Now, barrenness is way more than just being childless. But some of you are experiencing a barrenness somewhere in your life. And what I want to preach to you today, I want to build your faith. I want to build your hope. Because barrenness in the Bible often preceded a miracle breakthrough from God. Barrenness brought the person to their knees, caused them to cry out and say, God, please break through on my life. It, it increased their prayer life. It increased their faith. It brought them to a desperate place where they said, God, please remove this barrenness. And that barrenness preceded a miracle from God. And I believe in a providential God. And I believe in a miracle working God. And let me tell you today that I believe in the God who promised in Romans 8, 28, that he makes all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are the called according to his purpose. So that in the natural, if barrenness is a negative and a real downer, that in, in the spiritual life, with the eye of faith, barrenness can precede a miracle. It's fascinating to me to consider all the great deliverers that God brought forth from barren wombs. Both in the Old Testament and the New, we see them everywhere. Of course, the most famous couple that were barren, Abraham and Sarah. Abraham was 100 years of age, and Sarah was not far behind at 90 years of age. And the Bible tells us in Genesis 11, verse 30, that Sarah was barren. She had passed childbearing age, and she was barren. Now, they had a promise that they were going to be, that their descendants would bless the entire world. Well, if your descendants are going to bless the world, you've got to have a baby. And then you've got to have them having babies. And those descendants have got to spread out throughout the earth. And God had told them, you're going to be the blessing to the whole earth. And yet here she was, barren. And yet we see that the plan of God and the account of God's word is that it was the barren womb of Sarah that brought forth a deliverer in Isaac. But it didn't stop there. Further on in the book of Genesis, we find Isaac, Abraham's son, married to a woman named Rebekah. And Rebekah also was barren. What struck me with this is the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all experienced barrenness. The challenge of barrenness. Having to have faith in the face of barrenness. 
Further on, we see Isaac, and, and he marries Rebekah. She's barren, and yet we find another breakthrough miracle taking place when Jacob, who later became Israel, the father of the nation, was born from Rebekah's formerly barren womb. But it didn't stop there. Then Jacob married a lady named Rachel, who also was barren. He worked for her. He worked for Laban, her dad, for 14 years to marry her. And then barrenness. Yet it was from her barren womb that Joseph was born, another deliverer to the people of Israel. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all experiencing barrenness and yet all having a breakthrough in their barrenness. Then Jacob married Rachel, who was also barren. Joseph was born, another deliverer to the people of Israel. And further on in the book of Judges in chapter 13, verse 2, we read of a man named Manoah whose wife is unnamed, but the unnamed woman was barren. The Bible records there was no king in Israel at this time, and every man did that which was right in his own eyes, just like we are in America today. When you throw out the Bible, you do what is right in your own eyes. And the Bible says there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. Because left to ourselves, we will never choose the righteous path. And in their day... Every man, every woman, every child doing what was right in their own eyes. And God needed a deliverer to deliver them from the cruel Philistines because God had released an enemy against them to rebuke them and bring them back to him. And they were oppressed and harassed and defeated by the Philistines. And so what happened? The unknown woman who was barren brought forth Samson, the deliverer, born from a barren womb. And as we read on, we find another barren, widowed womb in the person of Ruth. Ruth found mercy in the eyes of the Lord. She married Boaz, and we read that she bore Obed, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse was the father of King David. Over and over again, God looked at a barren situation and those who were barren looked up to God and said, Lord, I can't do it. I need a breakthrough. I've tried everything and nothing is working. I need a breakthrough. And God brought the breakthrough. And I'm telling you by faith today, God's going to bring a breakthrough to your barrenness. Whatever it is, I'm believing God to break through on your life. When you go into the New Testament, we find a man by the name of Zacharias and his wife Elizabeth also past the age of childbearing with a barren womb. Elizabeth had been barren all of her life, and now she's in her old age. And yet, according to Jesus, the greatest prophet ever born of woman, John the Baptist, was born of Elizabeth's barren womb. Do you see how God uses barrenness? Do you see how God breaks through on barrenness? And God takes something negative and works it for the good and now in 1 Samuel chapter 1, we read of this situation with Elkanah and his wife, Hannah, who also possessed a barren womb. Israel at the time had backslidden tragically into great sin and depravity. Eli, the high priest, was totally backslidden. His sons were sinning in the temple. Israel was in the dark. There was no word from God to the land. They were dying for a word from God. Nothing was clear. It was a spiritual fog. A deliverer was needed once again. And we find that from the barren womb of Hannah, Samuel 
the prophet was born. And boy, what a deliverer Samuel was. He became the conscience of the nation, a man with an unerring word from God, the anointer of two of Israel's kings, the last of the Hebrew judges, and the first of the major prophets. Now I want to look at Hannah for a minute, because Hannah gives us a testimony on how to respond in the presence of barrenness. Because listen, there are many kinds of barrenness. You can be barren financially. You can be barren in a loveless marriage. You can be barren and have no friends. The barrenness of friendlessness. Barrenness is universal. Barrenness is when you want something to be there so bad, but it's just not there. And you say, oh, I'm going to try this, I'm going to try that, but you can't make it be there. And there's a barrenness, and it speaks to you, it talks to you, it haunts you. Hannah's problem was barrenness, and she needed a breakthrough. Hannah's one of the most sympathy-inducing characters in the entire Word of God. Scripture tells us the truth about her, what she experienced because of her barrenness. She was, the Bible says, greatly distressed because of her predicament. She lived in bitterness of soul. She believed in God. She had faith in God. She was a woman of God. But she was bitter in her soul. She wept, and she would not eat. And she cried continually to God because she couldn't have children. For her, it was a cause of embarrassment. It caused feelings of failure within her soul, like it does for 10 to 15% of marriages affected by the same predicament today. We're barren. We don't know why. We need God to break through. And we don't understand why our friends are having children, and we can't. Or if you've got barrenness in another part of your life, you look at others and you say, why do they have fulfillment there, and I don't? Barrenness can breed feelings of inadequacy and guilt. It can even turn to anger, and it can even turn towards God in anger. Why is God doing this to me? Why won't he take care of this in my life? Why do I pray and nothing happens? Why am I trying to fulfill this area in my life and nothing is taking place? Barrenness when you're childless. Hannah experienced a fear of the future, growing into old age without children, without grandchildren. The fear of loneliness, the fear of frustration. I don't want to grow old alone. I don't want to grow old without grandchildren. I don't want to grow old without being fulfilled in this area of my life. Where is God? What's taking so long? Barrenness covers much more territory than simply physical childlessness. Financial barrenness, friendlessness, a loveless marriage. The barrenness of being unwed. Why can't I meet the right person? I'm in a world full of people, and yet I look and look, and I've got this barrenness. I want to meet somebody. I want fulfillment. I'm tired of being alone, going out alone, doing things alone. Where is God? I feel barren, and that barrenness shouts. That barrenness aches. And some of you today are experiencing a type of barrenness. You don't know what to do. You don't know what's wrong. You don't know where to turn. It vexes you. It frustrates you. You're maybe even experiencing depression or despair because of the barrenness. You're not alone. It happened all through the Bible. It happens to people all over the world. And truth be known, in this sanctuary full of people, 
Many, many in here right now are experiencing an area of barrenness, and you wish that there was an answer. You wonder what it is. But you know what? Hannah's barrenness was made even worse by her persecutor. Her name was Peninnah, and I got to think of a pin when I say that name. Peninnah. 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 That was her name. That was her special little persecutor, Peninnah, because you see, Peninnah was the other woman. She was the other wife. And here's Elkanah married to two women. And it says in verse 6 of chapter 1 of 1 Samuel, her rival, Peninnah, Peninnah, also provoked her severely to make her miserable. Now, the Bible tells the truth about what's going on here. This woman is provoking her and mocking her and ridiculing her because she's barren. She can't help it. But she's taking advantage of it, capitalizing on it, and harassing her and persecuting her for her barrenness. She made her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb, so she's rightly named Peninnah. In those days of legal polygamy, intense competition often existed between the woman or the women for the husband's affection. And if one of them could give the husband a son, it was a huge plus. And Peninnah used it to her full advantage, pointed at her, mocked her, ridiculed her, sort of a na 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 na. I gave him a son, you can't, you're barren. And she made her barrenness twice as bad, thrice as bad. And really, Peninnah here is a picture of the devil, the accuser of the brethren, who often uses barrenness in our life to attack us as to. God's reality in our life and to attack us as to God's intention in our life and to attack us as to our faith or lack of faith. He attacks. Peninnah vexed Hannah continually for her barrenness and that's what the accuser of the brethren does. When you're barren somewhere in your life, he attacks. Where's God? How come he's not answering you? See, God's not a good God. If he really loved you, you wouldn't be barren like this. And rather than seeing the possible purpose in the barrenness, which I want you to see today, I want you to know that I believe in a providential, sovereign, in control God. Who never says, well, I didn't see that coming. Or will I be? No, he sees the barrenness coming. He knows your life. He knows you inside out. He formed you in your mother's womb. Can I tell you today, you are not fearfully and wonderfully evolved. You are fearfully and wonderfully made by the hand of God. But rather than, than seeing the purpose of God in barrenness, the possible purpose of God, the devil will send a penina either in person or in the theater of your mind. And you'll have a battle in your head, the enemy attacking your thoughts, because that's what fiery darts are. They are thoughts fired into your mind from the enemy of your soul, thoughts of doubt, thoughts of fear, thoughts of unbelief, thoughts of lust, thoughts of hatred, thoughts of revenge. All of these things are impulses sent into your mind. Paul called them fiery darts. And when we are barren, when we've got barrenness somewhere in our life, we're vulnerable. And that vulnerability is capitalized upon by the enemy. 
He might seek to incite us to blame God. Or he might try convincing the barren person that God has cursed them, that something is wrong with them, so that God has sent the barrenness, that God is somehow not pleased. Barrenness often becomes an intense spiritual battleground. Here's why. Because when you've got barrenness in your life, and you've waited and waited, and you've tried and tried, and nothing is taking care of that barrenness, that's when the enemy comes and says, why don't you just take care of it yourself? Even if it's a little bit unscriptural, God will understand. Because after all, you've tried everything, and we don't understand that often God's timing is not our timing, and he's working a purpose in our barrenness. He's working a purpose in our barrenness, and he wants us to trust him, to walk with him, and let him order the events of our life so that when the barrenness is taken care of, no man can say, I did that. No person can say, that was my working, but it was the work of God. So there was her problem, barrenness, and there was the, her persecutor, Peninnah, but then there was her praise. You see, here's what I love about Hannah, and here's where Hannah had a breakthrough, and where you and I will have a breakthrough as well if we do what she did. Hannah refused to allow her barrenness to quench her praise. Oh, I'm going to tell you, church, God created you and me to be praising people. We did not get saved to sit there like wooden Indians, petrified and fossilized, God's frozen chosen, and never give him praise. No, God saved us to open our mouths, get our hands in the air, and say, Lord, I praise you and worship you. You are the living God. And it's one thing to praise God when everything's going good, when the bills are paid, when you feel fulfilled, when there's bread on the table and there's joy in the house and the, the car is new and the house is new and the money is... It's easy to praise God then, but when barrenness comes creeping up on you and there is an aching void in your life and you've tried to take care of it and nothing works and the enemy is attacking you over it and you're down and everybody else is blessed except you, you feel like you're all alone and there's nowhere to turn and where's the breakthrough then the story is told whether you can get your hands up in the air and praise your God oh I want you to know today that praise is a spiritual weapon and Hannah refused to allow the spiritual weapon to be taken out of her hands by her trouble the Bible records Elkanah went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Look at that. Yearly they went up to worship. That tells me two things. Hannah always went, and it took years for her to get a breakthrough. We like instant, don't we? We like instant answers. We like instant miracles, instant healings, instant this and instant that. But can I tell you that some of God's dealings with you and me take time, sometimes years? And here's the question. Can you praise him in year one? Can you praise him in year two? When the ache is still there some, can you praise him in year three? When you haven't yet seen the breakthrough you're hoping for, can you praise him in year four? You say, well, Pastor Jeff, why would God take that long? His ways are in inscrutable. The Bible says they are past finding out. And even when we don't understand his hand, we are to trust his heart and we are to walk with him and, and praise him no matter what's going on. So here's Hannah. She said, 
Devil, I may be barren. I may be persecuted, but you're not going to get my praise. I'm going to praise God. How important is this? Oh, it's hugely important because, see, the devil fears a people who can be going through hell on earth but still praise God. He fears a people. I'm telling you, the devil fears a praising people who will not be stopped by hindrances, who will not be discouraged by letdowns, who will not be put aside and put their praise down because they're experiencing things they don't understand. He fears a praising, worshiping church. We find later in the chapter that even though Hannah was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish, she still kept a tight grip on her habit of praise. It says, then they rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. Oh, folks, listen, praise him at all times. Lift up praise to God when it's not going your way. When barrenness is staring you in the face, say, well, I may be barren, but I can still praise God. I may not have what I want, but I can still praise God. The devil is not going to take my praise away from me because praise will balance you out. It will release the power of God's Spirit on your life. It'll build your faith, and it'll carry you through the valleys if you'll praise God. She refused to stop praising God, and I contend that's one of the reasons she had a breakthrough. Here's a breakthrough principle from Hannah. In your barrenness whether it's a barren marriage, a barren singleness, barrenness financially, barrenness of friendships, hang on to your praise. See, here's the way we usually think. Well, I praise him when he does something for me. But how about this? Praise him when he hasn't done anything for you. Praise him when you're waiting on him. Praise him when you don't see a thing. See, some people only praise him for what he does, but we praise him for who he is. We praise him for who he is. So you stare barrenness in the face and you say, yep, it's still there, but I'm going to praise my God. I'm going to lift up a praise to him in the morning, the evening, at night. Nothing is going to take away from me my praise. Don't lose your praise. If you can praise God in your barrenness, Satan won't be able to take you out. If you can praise God in your barrenness, a breakthrough from heartbreak to hallelujah is coming. You see, God had a plan in Hannah's barrenness. He needed a prophet, a priest, a mighty man of God to step onto the stage of history and call his people back to righteousness. So providence was at work in her pain because Hannah was driven to her knees and into a place of prayer like she never would have been if she had not been barren and persecuted for it. So we see her problem, her persecutor, her praise, and then we see her prayer. She praised and she prayed. It says, in her bitterness of soul, Hannah prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow, and what she is about to pray never would have been prayed if she had not been barren and persecuted. 
Watch this. She made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me, and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, translated, take away this barrenness, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. I see God's purpose in her barrenness right there. Without the barrenness, let's be honest, Hannah would not have, uh, would have borne her son, kept him at home, raised him like all their Jewish women did. It was her in, in her extremity. She made a vow to God she would never have made in the natural, and God was using the barrenness to bring her to this point. She said, if you'll take away the barrenness, my son will be yours all the days of his life. In her extremity, she had dedicated her child completely to God. I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And God heard that prayer, and Hannah conceived. She had a powerful breakthrough. The Bible says the Lord remembered her, so it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel because I have asked for him from the Lord. Now watch this little boy. She weans him and she takes him straight to the temple. She says to Eli, I'd love to keep him at home. I love him. But this boy came to me by prayer and I made a vow to God in my barrenness that if he would answer me, I would give him to the Lord, and Eli took him into the temple. And from day one, this little Samuel was God's. He's sitting there as a little guy. And one day, he hears Samuel. He runs to Eli and says, what you want? Eli said, I didn't call you. Go back. So he goes back into the temple. Samuel. He hears that, Eli, quit bugging me. I heard you. What do you want? He said, I didn't call you. Eli's not real sharp here. He goes back and says, go on back. Third time, Samuel. He comes back to Eli, and then it hits Eli. Hey, it's the Lord calling you. And from the time he's an elementary school-age child, God is prophesying to him, has his hand on him, is using him, because he was given to the Lord in her barrenness. The barren one wept no more. Gone was her reproach. Penina's mouth was shut. Her problem was taken away. Her praise bore fruit. Her prayer was answered. Her promised breakthrough arrived. And her powerful breakthrough became a song that we call Hannah's song. And I want to read you three verses. It's so powerful because it's going to be many of you who are barren today. Barren somewhere in your life. She sang these words, my heart is happy in the Lord. Can we say that together? My heart is happy in the Lord. How did we see her before? She was vexed, she was down, she was hurting, she was aching, but now her heart is happy in the Lord. And then my strength is honored in the Lord. And then here comes my favorite, I smile at those who hate me. You know what she did? I believe she took Samuel and went right up to Peninnah. Do you see this child? 
I believe she carted him around everywhere because now God had removed her shame and removed her reproach. And she smiled at those who had persecuted her and hated her because God gave her the victory. And then she said, because I have joy in your saving power. Hannah praised with breakthrough praise. She prayed with breakthrough prayer. She persevered till the breakthrough came. And I want to pray with many of you today, if you would stand with me right now. And please don't leave yet. Don't begin exiting out because we're going to pray with people. And I want us to honor the Lord's presence here right now because there are, there are those who are experiencing barrenness. I've been barren many times in my life. Where is God? How come nothing's happening and this and that and the other? And I just had to learn. I praise him. And I'm still learning it. I'm still learning it. But I praise him more and more all the time. I'll praise him driving down the highway. Praise him in elevators. Praise him walking down the street. I praise him in the normal workaday world. Just praise him. Because when you praise him, you're practicing the presence of God. And I want to pray for you right now that in your barrenness, A, God will give you a word. Just this week, I had somebody come to me in barrenness. And I had already prepared this message. The message didn't come because of talking to them, but it sure confirmed the message because they were barren. And they were weeping, heartbroken, crushed. And I said, let me tell you what I would do what I have done, I would go straight to God and get a word from him. Because God knows all about your barrenness and he'll comfort you. And one word from God can carry you a year. There is a plan and God will take that barrenness and work it together for your good. And they did it and they told me God gave them peace. I want to pray for you right now. Would you bow with me for a moment of prayer? And if you're experiencing barrenness somewhere in your life today, I want you to raise your hand. I'm not going to call you down because there will be too many. But if there's barrenness, raise your hand real high. I want God to see it everywhere. I couldn't call you down. But I want to pray for you right where you are. God knows all about the barrenness. God hasn't left you. He's not against you. He hasn't stopped his ears to your cry. He's not not working. His time is not your time. His ways are not your ways. His thoughts are not your thoughts. Trust him in your barrenness. Praise Him in the barrenness. Pray to Him in the barrenness. Now put your hands up once again. Let me pray for you. Father, you see every one of these. Lord, financial barrenness, relational barrenness. There's, there's barrenness in marriages, Lord, I know. And I pray that you will answer that. But right now, Lord, we roll our barrenness onto you.
Now say with me, Lord, I give you the barrenness. I give you the ache and I give you the pain. Now say with me, I'm not going to let the enemy take me out over this barrenness. But I trust it in your hands. And Lord, if I'm barren like this, for years I will trust you. For Paul the Apostle said, now listen to this word, my grace is sufficient for you. For my grace, my strength is made perfect in weakness. And God would say God's grace is sufficient for you. His strength is made perfect in weakness. And until he breaks through, his grace is sufficient and will carry you through it all. Now say with me, Lord, I receive that grace. It's enough. And thank you for a breakthrough. Now one more thing. Say, I won't lose my praise. But I will praise you evermore in the presence of this barrenness. Now give him a hand of praise today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.